a 36-year-old, paleo-eating, marathon-running mother of two has a heart attack mid-race. Four days later, her family in excruciating pain has to decide to stop life support, and she passes away. A 17-year-old who is so overwhelmed by anxiety and depression turns to drugs and alcohol and self-harm because the, the medications the doctors give him aren't working. A young girl is abused in unspeakable ways at the hand of a family member who is supposed to protect and care for her. A man can't hold on to a job, and as a result, he loses his house, his wife, his children, and he ends up living in his car. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Are you kidding me? Let me take you back in time a little bit. My first paying ministry job, I was a, a part-time youth pastor uh, at an Episcopal church, and we were studying this passage. The staff was having a Bible study. It was the, the senior pastor and the couple of the worship team and our Christian ed director. Our Christian ed director was just a, an amazing woman of God. She was, I don't know, somewhere in her 60s, and the kids loved her, and the adults loved her, um, and she you know, she was the first one to speak up, and she said, I just, I have always struggled with this passage. I just have such a hard time with this passage. And um, so with all the arrogance that comes with a little bit of knowledge and not much life experience, I chimed in, and I tried to draw the comparison between Walter Payton achieving the career rushing yardage record and considering trials of many kinds, pure joy. I went on to expound, in all of my 23-year-old wisdom and knowledge, how every, every tackle, every would-be tackler and hit that he took, he learned, and he learned how to evade and cut and break. And if it were not for those hits and bumps and bruises that he took along the way, he never would have been able to attain what he attained. And in all the graciousness that she could muster, she said, well, that kind of makes sense but it doesn't help much. And she proceeded to explain a little bit of her life story. You see, she had been married for 40 plus years and her husband suffered with alcoholism. And her marriage came with all the things that you would think being married to an alcoholic comes with. Fear and, and depression and confusion and not knowing what to expect next. Um, but she she was right there with him every step of the way. Even though she couldn't do anything, she couldn't help him. And the last 10 years of his life um, were pretty horrible. His health declined, and it was just a slow, painful decline. And she, again, she sat by his side, couldn't really do anything for him. And I couldn't, I couldn't look her, I just, I will never forget this Bible study. I couldn't look her in the eye anymore. And I just kind of buried my head and... Um, I just didn't say anything for the rest of the night. So this morning, as we tackle this passage, I promise no misguided sports analogies. I'm going um, to do my best 
to help us dig a little bit deeper into the book of James um, as we wrestle with what it means to face trials of many kinds with, with, pure, with pure joy. So please, you guys, hear my heart in this. Like, I know that when we, when we think about trials in our lives, either things that we've gone through or things that we're in the midst of right now, or maybe we can see something coming on the horizon, um, it stirs up some feelings in us. And generally, those feelings aren't good. It's just negativity. It's negative energy. Not like new agey negative energy. It's just like we get to feeling really badly. And those negative emotions can put up a wall between us and whatever. If somebody is trying to reach out to us. But this morning, you guys, I want you to realize something. That those, those emotions, first and foremost, those emotions are real and they're valid. Um, and, you know, you have every right to be angry or confused or frustrated or whatever it, whatever it is that the trials that you've been through are stirring up in you. A- absolutely, those are real and valid. But see, here's the thing about, about feelings and emotions. If they are left to their own devices and, and you rely only on them to draw conclusions, you're gonna draw, they're going to be wrong conclusions. Our feelings are not, are not trustworthy. I'm going to do my best to... Um, to share with you from God's word, which is 100% trustworthy. At Crossroads, we believe that the the Bible is God's word, and it is 100% reliable. So a couple of things. If at any point during the service, like Ian said, there are folks in the back of the room, if you're feeling that kind of negativity ganging up on you, and you're thinking thoughts like Tom doesn't know what he's talking about. He hasn't been where I've been. You, this is just ridiculous. I don't know how anybody could pretend to say things like this. Um, I want you to do two things. One, I want you to head to the back of the room and ask those folks to pray with you. You don't even have to ask. You just go stand there and they'll, they'll pray with you and pray for you. And the other thing is I want you to remember this, this idea of facing trials of many kinds with pure joy is coming from the God of the universe who loves you deeply and knows you intimately and and cares and is way more acquainted with the trials that you are in the midst of than you could possibly, possibly imagine. So our big idea for this morning is this, is that God is completely trustworthy. No matter what is going on around us, He's completely trustworthy, and that is the reason for joy. And we're going to spend the next 15 or 20 minutes trying to dig into that and figure out how I can make such a statement. So the first thing I want to do is take us through a little bit of a vocabulary lesson. So, Ian, could you put that first slide up there? All right. In that first verse, it says, consider it pure joy. That word consider, right, is a predetermined state of thought. It's not a feeling, James is really big on this idea of our thought world and the things that we think about. And the predetermined is a big part of this. So here's, um, here's what I would equate this to. And this was something that I had to learn how to do when my kids were younger. Come Halloween, I knew my kids would not eat anything with nuts in it. Snickers, Reese's, whatever. And I was all about that stuff. So if I didn't decide ahead of time that after they went to bed, I wasn't going to go steal their Halloween candy, right, I was going to 
I was going to be all over their candy, and their bags would just get smaller and smaller and smaller, even though they weren't going to eat those things, but still their Halloween candy. Predetermined mindset, right? Before you face a trial, you need to have in your head how you're going to approach it. And for some of us, life has been hard, and our, our default mode is, I'm, just, I'm, I'm about to get the crud beat out of me here. And there's absolutely nothing good that can happen because of this. And I, I must have done something really wrong to make God put me through this. Predetermined state of thought. What's the next one, Ian? Joy. An unnatural reaction of deep and steady, thankful trust in God. So let me say that the, we're, I don't think God is calling us to be happy right, when we face trials. I don't, I don't think that's what this is about at all. I think God is calling us to be thankful and trust him in the midst of those trials, right? To, to that predetermined, consider it pure joy, state of trust in God. Ahead of time, thinking about how we're going to approach it. Okay, how we're going to approach it. We're, we're going to trust God ahead of time. What's next? Okay, so the word trials, for like when you look at the original language and for the sake of our conversation this morning, it's things that happen to us, our circumstances. Next week, we're going to talk about the messes we get ourselves into or what the Bible calls sin. But this is primarily aimed at just kind of the stuff, right? Stuff happens in everybody's lives. We all got stuff. And this is, that's kind of this discussion that we're having. And the last one, wisdom. Right, so this is, this is not only taking steps to grow your intellect, to grow your knowledge base, but this is doing something about it. So if a year from now, I am sitting in a room full of Bible nerds, and I use that term with the utmost affection, but we are not sharing the gospel with our friends, and we are not serving the poor, and we are not bearing one another's burdens any more than we are today, then we are no wiser than we are today. And in reality, we're probably farther away from God. So do the best you can to kind of keep those definitions in your head. Consider joy, trials, wisdom as we walk through um, this next chunk of, of Scripture. And I kinda, I've broken it down into three, three natures. Ian, can we put up, um, it's just like uh, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. So the first nature we're going to look at is the nature of trials. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Okay. The Bible is really clear. Jesus himself, New Testament, Old Testament, hard times, trials are going to come. It's not if, it's when. Jesus tells us, in this world you will have trouble. Take heart, I have overcome the world. We will have trials to face, and they're going to be of of all kinds. Um, so the thing about trials, the next part of that verse, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Per, let perseverance finish its work in you so that might, you might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Trials are hard. They're inevitable. They hurt. But they do not have to be in vain. In Jesus, they do not have to be in vain. And for me personally, like this is the, um, 
This is the part of this discussion that doesn't necessarily, it's biblical and it's true, right? So this is where I got to put my own feelings and emotions aside because this is the part that I wrestle with. Some of the things that I've gone through and the things that my family has wrestled with, I'm like, there had to be another way you could have get to that end point, God, right? But consider it pure joy ahead of time, having the mindset that I'm going to trust God. Um, trials don't have to be in vain. They, the first thing that we can think about is trials here and now can shape and mold us into the people that God created us to be. Trials can grind off the rough edges. Trials can add on that missing piece. You know, when, um, when Ian and these guys were young, middle school, early high school, they used to crack themselves up. Because when I was leading their discipleship group, um, I would ask, you know, we'd do some time of prayer. And they always wanted to pray for patience for me. You know why? Because they wanted to hear the stories the next week about how God gave me opportunities to develop patience. God didn't just give me patience, right? It's like a muscle that you have to, you have to develop. Trials do that. They can shape and form our character. Um, trials can be for God's glory. If we are able to keep our eyes fixed on God in the midst of a trial and thankfully trust him, I tell you what, guys, people are going to notice because it's not normal from the world's standpoint to be able to weather a storm and still say, yeah, I trust Jesus. Thank you. Or to keep, to keep your head up and not get frustrated and to maintain that attitude of peace, right, that only comes, that could only come from God. Um, and here, the last one, right, the, the thing that makes trials um, not in vain, or not the last one, the last, last part of this, is that there is this, our faith is full of mysteries, right? And there is a correlation between the trials and the hardships that we endure here and now and the celebration and the rejoicing that goes on when we meet Jesus, right? The harder things are here, the greater that celebration is there. The Bible talks about identifying with Christ in his suffering so that we might identify with him in his resurrection. Growing in Christ-likeness means growing in our ability to trust God in the midst of suffering. So we have, we have these benefits, for lack of a better term, in the here and now. And we have the, the, um, the outcome of glorifying God in the way that we approach trials. And we have this perception, not perception, um, we have heaven to look forward to and that rejoicing. So I once, I once heard a, a pastor say in reference to like our, our suffering, our trials right now, they may seem excruciating and they may seem unending, right? But as followers of Jesus, we are promised eternity in heaven. And so this preacher said, 10,000 years from now, when you're hanging out with Jesus, whatever it was that you went through is not going to feel like it did. And I thought to myself, what a jerk. I'm like, that guy has no idea. And I try not like, I fought, I fought that, that negativity and like, I'm like, all right, 
I trust this guy. I know how he preaches. I know what he says. He's preaching from the Bible. So I took a step back. And even in the midst of this life, we can see the separation from trials provides some relief. But that 10,000 years from now, when we're with Jesus in his presence, we're not going to want to have traded for in that moment. We're not going to want to have traded our trust in Jesus for that momentary pain and suffering. Trial and hardship are a fact of life, but in Christ, they are not in vain. That's the nature of trials. The nature of us, the nature of man, right? Can we put up the next part of the passage? Actually, I skipped a part, and I jumped down. Um, But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. So you look at the the language, the original language, the way this stuff was written, that idea of waves, it's not like waves crashing on a shore. It's like if you've ever been out in the ocean, like away from Long Island Sound, the, the ocean just continues to, continuously moves. There are these rollers. It never stops. It never stops. So those are the kind of waves that James is talking about. And he's making the comparison to, to people who um, are struggling And this is another big theme of James. We're going to see this again and again and again. They're struggling. They're being torn between the world and between life with Jesus. They're being torn between short, temporary comfort and long-term gain. And it's this double-mindedness that, uh, that James is, is warning about here. I don't, you know what? There's, just, there's too much in Scripture where Jesus steps into people's lives in the middle of their doubt and helps move them along, for me to think that that's, that's all there is. It's this idea of being torn by the world. And unfortunately, folks, um, that's something that we're born with, right? The, um, this, this tear, God created us in his image, and he created us to be in relationship with him. But we also are born into a broken, fallen, sinful world. So there's this, this split one of my favorite words of all time, ready? Bifurcation. There's this bifurcation of our nature. Literally just means a break in half. Um, that, we, that we have to wrestle with. And on our own, we're going to lose every time. It's only the power of the Holy Spirit in us that allows us to grow in Christ-likeness. So that old nature, that old man, that old woman disappears and we grow in, in Christ-likeness. That double-mindedness is what is what we're trying to avoid. I mean, Adam and Eve, all the way in the beginning, they had close contact with God. They walked with him physically. And even that, they traded that for a shiny, tasty-looking bite of fruit. They were torn between God and the world. So to summarize that kind of the human nature, Ian, put up that next bullet, please. Walking the tightrope between Jesus and anything else does not end well. Jesus wants our whole heart, our whole commitment. All right, the last, the last thing that I think we can, not the last thing, the last thing that we're going to talk about this morning that I think we can take from this passage in James is the nature of God himself. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. All right, so right away, 
any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. God wants to hear from us. That's his nature. He wants to be involved in our daily lives. He wants to hear from us. Who gives generously. Again, verb tenses and stuff, gives, that means that God is always giving and always ready to give. That's, that's who he is. That's how he operates. And all, that all is for those of us who are deserving or not deserving. God is gracious and merciful, and he makes those decisions. And what he asks of us is that we ask him. And then his nature is such that he will, that he will give. We ask and we commit to him. So the, these ideas of God always, always giving and being ready to give and being ready to give to whoever asks, it's just, it gives us a little glimpse into, into the nature of God. Um, it makes me think about things like God is timeless, right? And he ordained my days, your days, including our trials, before the creation of the world. And he knows how the story ends. He's in control of that. And he's in, he has you lovingly, gently, in the palm of his hand. God promises over and over to never leave or forsake us. No matter how dark a place you are in or how hard a trial you are in, God promises to walk with you through whatever mess that is. Sometimes that's um, a piece of scripture that you read from the Bible. Sometimes it's prayer. Sometimes it's a friend coming alongside you and helping you walk through that trial. But God promises never to leave you or never to forsake you. God has the only person being that can say this, a perfect track record. Anything that he has said will come to pass has come to pass. So we can look at his promises, things that we read at the end of the Bible and the book of Revelation that talk about Jesus' return. And God tells us that not only will those trials stop, he'll wipe every tear away, there will be no more sickness, no more pain, but he's going to make everything new. Everything new. Whatever that trial is that you're in the middle of, that you've been through already and that holds you back or that you see coming, it's going to come to an end and God is going to redeem it and he's going to restore you and the people that it affected when we're with him in heaven. I'm going um, to end with this. Book of Philippians says that Jesus is in very nature God. We're talking about God's nature, right? Jesus knows what it's like to go through trials. He's the only one, the only one who for each and every one of us can relate to whatever trial that we're in the midst of. Jesus is the only one that went to the cross for you. Jesus is the only one and the only thing that holds out the promises of the cross, of new life and of redemption 
and of restoration. Jesus is the only one who can empathize with you in the midst of whatever you're in. Jesus will walk with you through whatever trial, no matter how crushing it might feel right now. Because he was crushed for me and for you. And he knows what that, that's like. He was broken so you and I could be made whole. He is the only one. Jesus knows trials and he knows hardship. And he can and he will walk you through whatever it is you're in the middle of. So I started with this idea that God is completely trustworthy no matter what is going on around us. That's the reason for joy. That's the reason we can walk through trials and consider it pure joy. We can set our minds ahead of time that whatever comes down the road at us we can thankfully trust God in the midst of it. I'm going to ask the, the band to, to come back up here. We've been talking a lot about these ideas of looking up, leaning in, and reaching out. Right? So let's take, let's take the concept of trials and kind of run it through that lens of looking up to God, leaning into each other, and reaching out to the world. If you're in a trial, sorry, but I'll get anyway. If you're in a trial, I want to encourage you to pick your head up, right? When we get down, when we get dejected, we get frustrated, we tend to look down, not even out in front of us, just down. I want you to look up. I want you to fix your eyes on Jesus, right? I don't want you to look to the left or the right, to look at this person who hasn't had a trial, or this person over here who's already been through a trial, this past summer, I was at a, at a Christian event, and I was listening to this dynamic speaker talk about these trials that he's been through, and all I could do is sit in my seat and be bitter and angry that I wasn't on the other side of the trial yet. It's because my head was down, and I wasn't looking up at Jesus. My eyes fixed on Jesus. I can be excited for that guy. And I can praise God because he made it through the trial and he was reaching out to other people. You lean in, right? In the midst of the trial, you lean in to the people around you, to the people you trust, to the people who care about you. Who care about you. There are some times when you, just, you can't take another step and you need people to come around you and help you take that step. When it feels like your faith is just hanging on by a thread, you need somebody's faith to borrow and lean on. Or you just maybe you need somebody to bring you a meal because you're not taking care of yourself and you're not eating. And then the reach out part, you look up, you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. People come around you and support you. People who don't know Jesus yet, take notice of that. And God is glorified and his kingdom grows.
So here's what I want you to do. Really, really practical next steps, things that you can do as you leave here today. If you don't have a Bible, go online, Bible.com. I want you to read Romans chapter 8. Read it over and over and over and ask God to speak to you in that. Um, In the uh, crossroadct.info, the latest message, there's a link to a video from the Bible Project on the book of Job. And Job is just infamous for just the the suffering and the trials that he went through. And it's just a really great look at God's perspective and some wisdom on what it means. So it's, and it's, it's animated, right? It's not a kid's cartoon. It's animated, but it, just, it will really help um, kind of walk through some of that stuff. Lean in. Really practical. Just join a group. Folks, our groups are starting this week. If you're walking through stuff and you want people to walk with you, get in a group. And the last one, if you have already made it through a trial, I want you to pray every day. I want you to pray every day for an opportunity to tell somebody how God came through and walked you through that trial. Look up, lean in, reach out.